Tisa's son, Tyrell Miles, was shot and killed at the age of 23 in Somerville, South Carolina, on November 30, 2015, along with his 21-year-old friend due to a senseless act of violence by a known acquaintance. Tisa is the deputy chapter lead for South Carolina's Mom Demand Action, a member of the Evertown Survivor Network, advisory member of Taking Back Our Village, Tri-County Gun Violence Coordinator Council, and co-founder of We Are Their Voices, a nonprofit. Let's welcome her. And welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. Today on Grief Talk, I have a very special guest, um, and it's in relation to the Evertown Survivor Network edition with Tisa Wack. She is a gun violence prevention advocate, and she is the voice of her beloved son, Tyrell Miles. I'm so excited for you being on the show, and I would love for you to just kind of share with us um, your story. Tell us about your journey of being a homicide survivor. Well, um, again, thank you for um, having me on your show today. Um, My grief journey started started on November 30th, 2015, um, when my son Tyrell Miles was killed along with one of his close friends. Um, in a neighborhood, um, he went to go take his friend to do a run an errand and, you know, still to this day, we really don't know what happened, but he encountered a mutual friend of theirs and an altercation happened and my son was shot and his friend also was shot. My son died at the scene. His friend was taken to the hospital and where he died a little later. Um, you know, I, I remember that day vividly because I remember um, somebody called me and said they think something happened to Tyrell. He went into this neighborhood and it was not far from my twin sister's house. And they just heard that the ambulances and police vehicles going towards that way. And when we tried calling him, no answer, no answer, no answer. Um, eventually, um, law enforcement showed up in my house along with the coroner. And they told me that my son was involved in a shooting and unfortunately he did not make it, you know most devastating thing I've ever heard um, um, his wife he had just been married three months prior to that um, they have a they had a two year at a time he was about to turn um, three years old four days um, after that and when they showed up and they and they gave us that news um, I, I just screamed no not my son no way that could be my son you must be mistaken I literally get out my house I mean because that that shock turned to anger and it's like, get, get out of here. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember, you know, us just being devastated, calling family and friends and, and telling them what was going on. And then my, um, sister, my twin stayed at the house that night. And I remember going into my walk-in closet and I, I fell asleep in there because it was the quietest, darkest place. I felt as though if I did, if I didn't come out of that room, then I didn't have to face the reality that I was burying my son. It was out of order. Mm-hmm. I, he was supposed to bury me. This is my, Tyrone was my only child. I, 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 he was my only thing. My mother died earlier that year and it was devastating. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, with 
and our stories every time we talk our stories seems so so there's so many similarities excuse me mm -hmm. um within our stories because my son as well um lost his best friend that same night in this double shooting mm -hmm. um now that i've i've heard you say that before but i've just mm -hmm. connected that again that there is another thing that has connected us which is um how um your son passed and that there being another individual involved how did you ever receive justice um regarding um your son's loss well fortunately we did um this occurred inside in front of the young man's house in his car you know for whatever reason my son and his friend was in his car and he shot them in front of his house and his mom the young man's mom's boyfriend was there and he actually verified that he was the only one there him and my son and his friend hmm. and he the young man ran for a few days and eventually he came back to our town um i mean out of some of us south carolina and they arrested him we went to trial um he never said his why he never gave us a reason we went to court maybe two and a half years later which was a part really hard because it felt like you're being traumatized over and over again mm -hmm. because now you have a suspect and you're waiting for um justice to be served um yeah. we sat in court for four days and this young man never testified he never said his gave his why mm -hmm. but the judge and the jury saw fit to give him two life sentences without the possibility of parole mm -hmm. and i must say that day that that happened we were so full full of joy because right. justice would be served and someone was taking responsibility for that but yeah. the next day i i gotta be honest it felt like okay yeah he's in jail he'll be there for the rest of his life but my son's still not here mm -hmm. you know so it was bittersweet um but i do know several friends and family that have been um affected by gun violence and they don't have that same justice of even knowing who shot their child or their loved ones. So I, I do, you know, hold solace to the fact that we did get that justice. Um, yeah. The other young man's um, mother, we became really close friends um, after both of our sons will die. We, we share something, a bond because mm -hmm. the similarities um, and they were together. Um, right. I wish she's the most, she's the sweetest lady I've ever met. I wish we would have met through so, so different circumstances, but we really hold each other up and try to support each other in this journey. All right. Yes. Thank you. Cause that's very important too. Um, because as though my son was shot with his best friend, even though Taiki survived initially, um, that was a hard conversation or just to, just to go half for me to go and speak to her and my son lived. So, um, it's just difficult. The journey is um, somewhat, like you said earlier, you know, um, even though we don't feel as like, yes, we received the justice because Taiki was a witness in, in our case, and he was a witness to um, be able to tell what happened. Um, we were happy, like you stated, mm -hmm. we're excited. And then the next day, um, what are we still to do with these emotions? So um, I definitely understand that. And I'm sorry for your loss. And I'm glad that you have built um, relationships with the other family to um, 
just so that you'll have that, you know, connection and, and connectivity. And she has somebody as well, because we're exactly. going to go into and talk about all the amazing things that you do, um, be, ha, have been doing beyond the loss of your son. And, but everybody is not able to walk in that. So, um, I'm glad you still do have a relationship with her. Can you please share the life of your dear son, Tyrell, and just tell us things about him? Well, Tyrell was uh, a very fun-loving person. He had this really unique relationship with family. This kid loved family. Um, he had a, a unique bond with each of them. I think everybody thought he was their um, favorite. I mean, because that's the way he made them feel. Because my aunt, my, my aunt who's close in age with me, she'd say, oh yeah, I'm Tyra's favorite. My sister would say that Tyra was um, her, um, the favorite for her and, and each of them. And it was just that uniqueness that he had because he made each and every one of us feel, feel like we were the favorite in his life. Mm. I remember his smile. He had a gorgeous smile. He was tall, six feet, um, one inches, one, maybe one and a half. Um, slender built. Um, it, it was amazing because after his passing, it was so many young women that was like, "Oh, I had a crush on him. I had a crush <laughs> on him." And I was like, "Y'all do know he was married, right?" <laughs> right. And, and his wife was the type that you know they would bicker as newlyweds or be in a relationship, but the love that they showed each other and yeah. the love that he had for his son, mm. it was just amazing because. Most times, as as females, we are the ones that the kids pretty much cling to, and you can't even go to the bathroom with the little fingers being underneath the doors because they're looking for mommy. Right. But with my son, it was the total opposite for him and his wife. That was what my grandson did with him, mm. because my once my son had Dion, his uh, my grandson. It was like that was his world. I mean, when from day one when they were. Um, in the in the nursery he then was allowing two people to go in and every time someone would come to visit he was like so who else is coming with me he would never be <laughs> just like let two other people go and it was like he gave my grandson his bath he made sure he got fed i mean his mother his wife didn't have to do a thing so when my Aww. son passed she really had to learn how to nurture and be that mother to her son because my son pretty much took over everything. Yeah. But he just had such a kind spirit and he, he was trusting and loving of everyone. I always used to always tell him that, son, everyone is not your friend. Stop being so so friendly and, and naive to a certain extent to people. Mm -hmm. But I, I just remember just his, his smile was just so contagious and his heart was just so big. And he was just a kid that everybody, they just, they just loved him. Aww. And I think that's the part of what I missed. But one of his favorite sayings was, you know, he used to like, like to call me old lady. Um, old lady, what you doing? I was like, I'm not old. What are you talking about? And, and he would say, that's what's up, ma. That's what's up, ma. When, when he saw me accomplishing something um, that he wanted to. I remember him telling me one day, because um, well, I work in the healthcare profession on the, um, you know, the, what do you call a paperwork side, not um, actual physician or anything like that. But he used to say, Ma, um, I, I love what you're doing. Um, you, I want to do what you're doing. I want longevity on a job. I don't just want a job. I want a career. And mm -hmm. it made me feel proud because it meant I was setting an example and a standard for him. Yeah. And I, I just recall those precious moments. And, and one just funny part about his personality was he, we called him like the $20 guy. 
because he had his way at all those family members that loved him so dearly. He said, hey, can I get $20? <laughs> and so he'd get $20 from you. He'd get $20 from his auntie, his cousin. And I just always tell him, I said, I know you're walking around, walking around at least $100 or more <laughs> at times because people will, people will ask for $20 back most of the time. Right, right. So he figured out that was about the amount that he could ask for without <laughs> making it him give <laughs> Yeah, so that's one of the fun fun things that I remember about him is just being a character and um, loving his family. Oh, that is such an amazing story. Great memories that you have. Yeah. Um, so did you go through any counseling or have group support um, after you lost your son? Yes, I did. Um, initially, I went to my employer and called like an employee self-serve, um, a way to connect with professionals. So I did that shortly after that um because i really felt that i needed it i had lost my mom early that year and then um, my son later on that year and i just was in a weird space um had a couple of sessions with that professional and kind of kind of weaned off from it but then after that it was probably maybe a year later and i had returned to work maybe a couple of months after that and kind of deep dive into my work kind of like um mm -hmm. really just kind of getting myself out of my thoughts but then I sat one day and I realized that I was just masking the issue yeah because literally every day after I got off work I would invite friends out to eat hey you want to meet at such and such get something to eat and we'd have um happy hour and we'd have a couple of drinks and I'd come home and it was quiet and I literally was like something's wrong I mean literally for months every day it was can somebody and I don't think anybody really picked up on it they're just like mm -hmm. oh Tisa want to go out to eat let's go out to eat but it was really me hiding that that pain that I was feeling mm -hmm. and um working in um my field I reached out to one of our um business administrators and asked you know I know psychiatry is one of your fields and um I'm still really struggling with my grief do you can you recommend somebody I can talk to and because I had worked at, at the organization been there for 20 something years you know I had a good relationship with these people and they knew what happened to my son so mm -hmm. the young lady she really said I'm gonna give you one of the best in my opinion and wow. I, I connected with the young lady um, started seeing her and the one-on-one -on -one, it really helped now when I reached you know I told my family that I had started seeking professional help in that level they were like, oh, we can talk to you. You know, we're here for you. But what I found is that, yes, your family is there for you. And and I love my family daily and I appreciate every bit of support they've given me. But I found that, you know, there are times when I might have not been feeling 100%. That mm -hmm. I didn't want to bring them down because they lost their mom that same year. They lost a nephew. And their nephew, was he was the first grand. So initially he was like their first kid before they had their own children. Yeah. So I didn't want to bring them into a dark place if they were feeling somewhat okay. So I needed someone else individually to talk to. Yeah. And then from there, it kind of spiraled into understanding my grief, understanding how to work through it. And through my nonprofit, we also started a support group mm -hmm. um, where several people who had similar experience would actually go through and we got some one of a medical a local medical professional facilitated because i can speak from a from a this happened to me perspective but i felt it was important to have somebody with a clinical background in right. case people need a little bit more within the group 
Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing. You hit on a lot of points, which was um, the employment um, assistance program, which a lot of people tend to forget that they do have that as a, a resource. Mm -hmm. um, that's the same thing that um, I also used as well um, to receive those. Well, here in Georgia, it was six sessions for me. And that just got me to the point that I was okay with being vulnerable um, with sharing my story with someone else um, because you know our family sometimes tend to feel that they know everything um, but not really um, sometimes not ready to really know all of everything you, you know exactly. and, and, and then uh, you definitely want to have that non-judgmental person um, that can support you as well um, which not to say that that would be the case in, in, in anyone's family, but sometimes you just need that professional, like you stated, um, right. um, person to be able to just actively listen and then um, allow you to be able to move through the process as best that they can. Exactly. Uh, but I, I truly appreciate you um, talking about that because uh, I try to explain to people or I'll, I like to um, provide resources to everyone. So the employment assistance program and support groups, like you say, that you have started with your foundation and we're definitely going to get more into um, talking about the, all the advocacy work you've done and, and, and how you've even gotten to the point to be able to support so many other um, individuals likewise. Um, so what part of the framework of the stages of grief did you relate to? And those stages are the denial, shock, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Was it one particular that stands out to you or was it all, or how was that journey for you? I think for me, um, Miami, it, I, I've been through all stages, but I'm working on acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just being transparent. Um, and some days, some days or some weeks or some months, I can go through, um, all stages all over again. Mm -hmm. Um, on, on, and, and I, that's one of the things that the young lady works with our support group. Um, we talk a lot about is being okay with going through those stages. I think acceptance is probably one of the hardest. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm getting closer to it, but not quite there yet. But I think it's, it's healthy to discuss and acknowledge when you're in a stage because um, bargaining was probably was one of the ones I, I stayed in a little longer mm -hmm. than probably most because it was kind of like, and then a little bit of more to anger because I was just angry and, yeah. and angry at why could you, how could you, how could this happen to my child? How could this happen to my only child? And I was angry with God for a while. I mean, being transparent, I was just upset because I was like, what kind of God would allow this to happen? And, and I kind of sheltered myself away from my church family. Um, you know, they reached out because I'm going to give them that because they were like, hey, Tisa, we want to make sure that you have what you need. And my pastor, even though I wouldn't probably answer her, she would check on me just about every week, you know, just, but she wasn't pushy, but I had to come to terms with that. Um, yeah as to um, how to deal with that. But I think anger and bargaining were two of the stages that I spent the most time in. Mm -hmm. um, but it was healthy for me because it got me in a better place. Absolutely. I think that um, going through um, is still something that we're going to do on a daily um, Maybe some not uh, more so, you know, we, like you stated, we can go from um, we can go from acceptance back to denial in a day, you know, just the, depending on, you know, um, the circumstances of our day. 
and um, being uh, re-triggered from certain things that are like happening currently now with the, our state of the social injustices that, you know, and over the, you know, the 4th of July weekend. And, you know, so we can go back and forth as many times um, that, uh, you know, along our journey that is possible for us to. Um, it's just, I think for me, it's been the ability to recognize when I'm there and to say, okay, I'm feeling this way today. Let me just feel that. Okay. I'm angry. I'm angry. Yes, I'm angry. And feel yeah. that throughout the entire the entirety of your body and learn how to just move on from that. Um, it, it sounds so cliche to do or when people just kind of tell us, oh, how, you know, when people want to know, well, how do I move between the stages? And then some people believe like there's not any stages of all, uh, at all. Some people just believe that we have um, all these different emotions that uh, are created and surrounded by um, our, you know, traumas or loss or, or whatnot. But for me, the grief stages um, definitely for me was a roadmap to just tell me something of how I was feeling because I didn't have yeah. a clue because as black families and, and parents, we wasn't taught what grief was. Um, you know, our tradition was just to have a three day session of a funeral, you know, the wake, the funeral, the bury. you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. there. No, there was no training by no one. It was just tradition to go and have this um, celebration and um, move on with your life. Yep. Exactly. You know? I was about to say it. Just move on. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was just happy to find something, a roadmap to say, this is how I could be feeling. Not to say that I was angry that day. Um, I could have been just in denial, but at least I had something to go by. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think the stages just connect you with maybe the emotions that you're feeling. And if you yeah. look through the five stages, it's just connecting it with that. But I thought, I think it's important for people to understand that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You often um, share um, on your um, social network, your social media network, um, pictures of your handsome grandson. Uh, <laughs> so what has been the most difficult parts about that process without his father? You know, it's funny that you brought that up because uh, one of the most difficult right now is because he was two when his father was killed so if we think about what we remember when we were two years old very little um so a lot of the memories that he has as a father are snippets of videos that someone may have or pictures or stories that we tell him mm -hmm. and most recently um he came to me and we were talking about i think i brought up something about his dad and he said granny um can we not talk about my dad? Cause it really makes me sad. Whoa. And it hurt me. And, but I understood from him because his connection with his dad, cause he, he, he says, I know my daddy's in heaven. He's asked questions about how his father's died, how his father died. I've never lied to him and told him, you know, I've always told him the truth. He asked, did the man, the bad man who killed him, is he in jail? I told him, yes. But I think as he gets older, he misses a connection and it's yeah. scary to him. And I think the part that's hardest because I don't know how necessarily to help him with that mm -hmm. because my father's still alive. Um, yeah. So it's an area that I think for me, I have to dive into a little bit more to make sure he has an outlet to discuss it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and his mother even talked about maybe even 
putting, getting him in counseling just for him to deal with his feelings about how he feels about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, not, we don't want to, and I don't want to make him grow up to be a kid that like, um, I think I talked about earlier, um, kind of before we met, you know, started the session about how overcompensating for a loss. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to spoil him to the point that he becomes, um, one of those kids who thinks he's entitled to things just because he asked for it. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the struggles right now that, that I face mm-hmm. with him. But you know, this was within the last two weeks, he told me that. And I must say, I almost cried. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, what do you mean? You don't want to hear about your dad in my mind. I didn't say it to him, but in yeah, my yeah, mind yeah. I was thinking, what do you mean? You don't want to hear about your dad. I mean, what do you mean? It's your dad. Yeah, and and I want you to remember him. I don't want you to ever forget him. But but I I sat back and I understood it, and, mm-hmm. and I told him I would have respected. I you know, although he's seven, he's a pretty smart kid for seven. And yeah. I told him I said, well, you know what, Dion, we can talk about your dad. Um, I won't bring it up as much, mm-hmm. but you, when you want to know something specific about him, make sure I'm here to talk about it. Yeah, and he said okay. All right, Grandma. Good yeah. job. That was a good comeback. I um, know. I'm telling <laughs> like you, it that. was kind of, it was hard. I yeah. didn't know it came from. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, spirit was able to give that to you to, to be able to help him with that. And like you said, um, some type of um, counseling may be able to, uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be able to assist him of how to, you know, talk about it when he's ready. Um, right. But it, he's just a typical kid. And that's mm-hmm. probably like a little, you know, sad for him. And then right now you got to think we're not in school anymore, you know, so he's not around his friends. So that could be a little heavy um, for him at this time, but yeah. But you know what? Children will put you in your place though. They will will. correct you. And and he did it in a very, very polite way. Right, 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 right. right. But all that is, I mean, I know of course for you that had to be difficult, but at the same time, I'm, I'm so glad that your reaction that you reacted um in a manner that oh i have to really think about this because you know sometimes mm-hmm. we we're, you know when we react we're not really conscious of what we say but I, i'm so grateful that you know spirit did give you the opportunity to be like mm, no okay well he told yeah. me but you know and yeah. then you were able to you know help him with that you know by just saying you know saying it in an encouraging way like you said so that is amazing um how has your identity changed over I the think process? For me, for, for me, the first year was really hard because my identity as a mother, I felt uh, I felt as though it was lost because Tyra was my only child and I lost my mom. I struggled with my first Mother's Day because I actually felt like, how can I celebrate this day? I don't have a mother and I don't have a child. Mm-hmm. Am I really a mother anymore? Mm-hmm. And, and for you know, the average person, if I was to say that to they, they kind of like, no, Tisa, you know, you are mother, but it's just, it was hard. It was really a struggle. Um, I pretty much shut down and, but slowly had to realize that although my mother was gone and my son wasn't here, that those motherly instincts were still there. Mm -hmm. I still was a mother to him. I still was a grandmother to my grandson. And slowly but surely kind of reconnected with that and decided to kind of do special things for myself at that point. Um, kind of reconnected with purpose. I think mm-hmm. my son's death allowed me to find a little bit of purpose in life other than um, 
doing things for my son or my um, daughter-in-law. Because although people think that once your kids become grown, it's like parenting stops, but it doesn't. It, it, it continues Absolutely. on. I mean, my son was 23 years old, but there's still a lot in life he didn't know how to handle even being married. Yeah. You know, I remember sitting in the kitchen having a conversation with him. I think I had to really dig into that instinct of motherhood in order to get my identity back and 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 identify a purpose going yeah. forward yeah absolutely um well said well said I, I definitely agree with uh having to still assist adult children um, <laughs> yeah. to help them continue finding their way because my mother still um supports me a lot um and mm-hmm. i'm in my 40s so you know what objects or things do you hold dear to you um due to your loss of your son um, so some objects that I hold dearly, um, my son and myself and my grandson took a picture about two weeks prior to my son's death. Um, I was prior, you know, prior to all, all the things that's happened in life, I was a runner, um, running marathons, half marathons. And, um, I had done so in different places, but never in my hometown where my family could participate and watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one in my hometown and I was like, Hey, Tyrell, y'all coming to my race. It's right here. Y'all have to go far. Um, you're going to be there. And he was so excited. And he was like, yeah, mom, we coming, you know, I'm running, you know, the course and, and I'm almost to the finish line. And he's calling me like, mom, where you at? Where you at? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I said, just stay there. And he's excited. He's waiting at the finish line for me. And I run through the finish line with one of my runner friends. And all of a sudden I hear people laughing and, like really joking, my grandson took off behind me, running behind me at the finish line and my son ran behind him. And, you know, it was just like a moment. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, my son was shot and killed. Little did I know that the photographer from the race captured that picture. Whoa. And so when you think about it, that's one of those last moments I had with him and it just had so much joy to it. So I hold it dearly to me. And when I wrote the photographer and told him the story and told him what happened, it's like he was just in awe. He said, as a photographer, we never know what moments we're going to capture and what they need. Yeah. And that showed me there. My grandson always had my back and my son always had my back. And, and that's the way I look at that picture. And it's just something, one of those things that just... Whenever I'm down, I look at that picture and my son has this big old laugh. And like I told you about that smile he has, you could see that big smile behind him. And it's kind of like, wow. Yeah. You got my back. Wow. 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 That is such, that is such a touching story. And the picture just gives you chill bumps when you see mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. imagine it's like two months after he died and I'm, of course up and I can't sleep and I'm just like oh let me go through this race on Facebook and I'm just scrolling through the pictures and pictures and pictures and then all of a sudden I land on this and I was like wow and I was like son you knew I needed to see this yeah absolutely oh just give me chills (laughs) (laughs) so sharing your the advocacy work um that you've committed your life to and how did you join moms in every town as a fellowship fellow survivor well the advocacy work started well before my son even was killed i became a part of an organization called taking back our village like a community advisement um, board 
and it became um gave birth to it because in 2014 there was a group of kids out of my um, hometown area that were shot in Myrtle Beach during um, what they call Black Bikers Weekend. And it was three young people from our area and my son was actually friends with two of them. And it was just, the community was devastated. You know, three young people under the age of 25 had lost their lives to gun violence. Um, so we came together with a couple of friends who were also really concerned about what was going on. And we had this big community meeting and we talked about um, more involvement in the community, getting access, access and outlets to kids and also law enforcement involvement. So that was in 2014 that that was established. Um, in 2015, I lost my own son to gun violence, not knowing that um, I'm advocating for one um, cause and that I'd be pretty much put front and center um, holding that same tragedy. Um, out of that, the tragedy of my son birth, um, a friend of mine who was a part of Taking Back Our Village who lost her son the same year, 2014, in December. And when I lost my son, she reached out to me and, you know, cause she knew the pain I was um, feeling. Ironically, her son got killed the year before my son in the same exact neighborhood, about a block away from each other. As I stated, my um, grandson was two at the time, and he, his birthday was four days after his dad died. And the young lady, my the co-founder, um, Chandra, her son, her only child as well, had a girlfriend that was pregnant and gave birth to her, his daughter four days after he died. Wow. So our lives were just so parallel. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, I was blown away. She reached out to me is the holiday times because her son got killed in November the prior year, mine in, no in November. And she just gave me a confident air, say, I'm here for you. I understand what you're going through. Um, so we, we get, um, forged a connection. Yeah. And through that connection, we were talking and we said, yes, you know, we have to be the voices of our sons because they're no longer here. Mm -hmm. um, we have to stand up for them and yeah. their birth. Um, we are their voices, yeah. which is a nonprofit that I co-founded with her. And, you know, our mission for, um, for We Are The Voices is to be able to provide access and outlets for um, young people to make better decisions, you know, giving them opportunities um, outside of their communities, offering scholarships for not just the average college student, but kids who want to go to trade school. Because we got to realize that every kid is a college bound. Yeah. Maybe that kid wants to be a barber or a mechanic or a um, welder. But that also takes money just like college takes money. Yeah. So our, our scholarship is not just for college bound students. It's for students who want to do something just to be able to better themselves and um, allow them to be better um, community advocates. Mm -hmm. um, we offer um, support for conflict resolution, um, soft skills, um, and also not just kids. We think about parents and offering um, parent parenting um, coaching and skills because it's hard being parents in this day and age. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of parents think that they're, they're doing this alone and no one else is going through what they're going through. So I think it's important to support each other. And then, um, in addition to that, um, we brought um, a support group where we meet uh, monthly and we have a, a facilitator who's a um, professional license that comes through and helps us with that. But after We Are Voices were formed um, last year, 2019, I had always heard about moms. And I was like, 
oh, what's moms about? You know, I knew they did advocacy work dealing with gun violence, but I wasn't too familiar with it. And leading up to that, prior to that 2018, it was like every time I was trying to get to a meeting, I just kind of got sidetracked. But 2019, I finally made it to my first meeting. And ironically, I had spoke at an event that month prior and one of the ladies from Moms Man Action of the chapter lead in Charleston had saw me and had been, I had been actually a topic of their monthly meeting for January because it was talking about the event. And I was like, wow. I said, so, oh, I, I didn't remember seeing them there, but they were actually at the event. And just through conversating with them and, and just talking about what they were doing and what my organization was doing, um, I wanted to branch out and learn a little bit more about Moms Mad Action and eventually became their community lead. Because wow. um, I thought it was important and they thought it was important to connect um, organizations already doing work in the community and to being able to tie into that and help support and, and build each other up on the experiences. Um, because, you know, moms at that point, we were, they were doing a lot of um, legislative work and talk about different bills and coming from Charleston, there's the Charleston loophole in which the mother, the manual nine, the nine people were shot in that church mm -hmm. and, and talking about um, the rights to carry guns without a permit. Those are two of the topics that were sitting on that floor in South Carolina mm -hmm. and just getting involved in that. And, and I just kind of got a passion. I was like, wow, I think, I think I kind of want to do this a little bit more. Um, yeah. Since then, I'm now the state, um, the deputy state lead for Moms Demand Action. So I work along with Jackie, and um, and it was you know before that I was introduced to the Survivors Network and and applied for the Survivor Fellow and the training that they offered for me to enhance and tell my story about my son just was phenomenal. And and here I'm at now today, and also um, you know participating in different things in my community. Um, in relation to gun violence and supporting other organizations and just trying to make a difference and make sure that my son's voice is heard, but not just his voice, but all victims of gun violence. Absolutely. Whether it's from domestic violence, suicide, um, homicide awareness, just making sure that people know that it's just not mass shootings happen out there. It's everyday gun violence that's occurring and we have the ability to make the narrative of that change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and what parts of the, I know you talked about parts of the um, lawmaking process um, that you have been a part of, but are there any parts of that process that will help you in your mission with your organization? Um, the laws that are currently on the floor or something that maybe that you're actually advocating on right now? So right now we're advocating with the uh, permitless carry that's um, on the floor in our um, South Carolina house. Um, because what it is is that in right now we have concealed weapons permit. People mm -hmm. have to, you have to be registered, but now they want to move it to something where um, you don't have to have a permit to carry. And for my organization, that's extremely important because as trying to reach youth and trying to reach young adults, mm -hmm. we don't need to have them in a position where they may have a firearm. And if you think about the climate of what's going on in the community now and how some law enforcement officers have interacted with our young people, the last thing we want to do is have them have a gun unnecessarily un uncredentialed 
because they didn't even need a permit to have it. And also to keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them based on mm -hmm. mental health status or other things of criminal backgrounds that might want to not have them. So, you know, the permitless carry, I think it carries so much across, not just the mom's platform, but I think it, uh, it crosses a community platform. Yeah. And it's something that um, not only my organization, but several throughout the country um, and throughout the state of South Carolina, they're advocating for it not to be passed. I mean, I participated in advocacy days and wrote personal letters to my representative to tell them, this is why I don't think this is a good idea. Because my son was killed by someone who didn't have a gun and shouldn't have had a gun. And if he was killed with it being a law, imagine how many people could be killed without with this law being put in place saying it's okay to carry without a permit. Right. So um, we want to be able to let our elected officials know that it's not something that we are going to stand for. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, what is your call to action um, in regards to today's session with Grief Talk? Well, my call to action is for everyone to be a voice because although they may not know someone personally, who's been affected by gun violence, but they may know someone who knows someone. Yeah. And these voices have been taken. And it was my family's voice uh, in 2015, your family's voice in 2017, and so many people I know voices in different times. So I, I asked people to, to be that voice and honor my son's memory, Tyrell, honor his widow, honor his child. And they can do that by texting honor to 644 three three in order to be involved in mom's demand action see where they can fit in the space because there's a space for everybody whether yeah. it's um community faith lead um be smart program but that's how you can connect mm -hmm. by texting honor to six four four three three and show that you want to be a voice for not just my son but all victims of gun violence thank you thank you so much for that what's next for your journey well, my, my journey next is I've been kind of dabbling with getting a book together because um, there's so much more to my journey than my son's death because there's a lot of things that happened in his life prior to that. A lot of things that happened in my life prior to that. I think that people need to understand that. Yeah. So my journey next is to be able to support other families and to build our nonprofit in order to be able to provide more scholarships to young people and provide more outlets and resources to them to be um, active and, and positive members of their communities. Okay. And can you share a personal quote um, with my Grief Nation listeners and why is that your quote? Well, one quote that um, is really dear to me and it's one I created myself, at least it's mine. Yeah. I have the power to create change and I will. Okay. And it's dear to me because I always think about that day that I was sleeping in that closet that night when my son died mm -hmm. and I had two choices. I can come out of that closet and be an active participant in trying to stop this from happening to anybody else's family or I could stay in that closet and be silent. And that's why, because I realized that day that if I gave up, that I was giving that person who killed my son that power and I was taking that power back because I had the power to create that change. Absolutely. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, how can um, my Grief Nation listeners reach you? What are all of your social media platforms? 
Well, they can reach me. One, we have a, um, a website and it's wearetheirvoices.com and you can see what we got going on there. But we also on Instagram as We Are Their Voices XOXO. And then we are on Facebook under We Are Their Voices. Um, so they can reach out to me and they can see what we have going on and, and participate. We have an email mailing list and we have a calendar of events um, and just kind of see what we're doing in our space here in South Carolina. Thank you so much. And um, I have two more things before I let you go, but can you please share a, another lovely memory of your dear son, Tyrone? Well, this is a, a, a comical story of him. And um, he was probably in the ninth grade then. And he decided he was at my aunt's house and he was going to move um, his, his, his cousin's car. And he circled it in the backyard and it rained really badly the day before. So it was really muddy. So he gets his cousin's car stuck in the backyard, bogged down. So instead of him coming to, to get somebody to tell him what happened, he decides he's going to take his my cousin, my cousin, his older cousin, her car, and drive it behind his and try to bump it out. <laughs> so now we got two cars stuck in the backyard. <laughs> so then my cousin, Frank, comes over and he decides, well, I'm going to help Tyrell out. I'm going to get the car stuck out the yard because he's driving his work truck thinking he can just latch on and pull the cars out. Now we got two cars <laughs> and a truck stuck in the backyard. <laughs> So three, three oh, car, triple A had to be called to tow three cars, two cars and a truck out the backyard. Uh -oh. So it's like the funniest memory. And it goes to say this kid right here, he, he just, he was not going to give up. <laughs> he was not going to give up. He was persistent. <laughs> and then the fact that he had people kind of go along with them when the, the next adult come to say, well, I'll get the truck and I'll yeah, get yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that's a funny memory that I have of him. And we often, t we, we laugh about it. So yeah, y'all remember the time Charlie got this car stuck in the backyard? <laughs> Oh, goodness. It's, and it's very funny, too. So yes, I can only imagine I mean, doing holidays when you guys bring that up. And, uh, yes, exactly. How much he still is, uh, you know, an active participant in your family's um, holidays sharing time or just sharing at all. Um, exactly. That's a beautiful memory. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I'm going to ask you two things about grief and you just kind of share with me um, how you feel about the statement. Okay. Okay. So grief is? Grief is a process and it's not going to be something that you can click a button like you in the microwave and it's done. I think grief is a journey that you have to accept it in order to move through it. Okay. And grief is not? Grief is not on a timetable and you can grieve for the rest of your life, but it's about how you choose to grieve because we can have our moments but I think it's important to go have the moments and get through the moments, but don't stay in the moment. Excellent. Excellent perspective. And before I let you go, please just give me um, something that you have on your, on your mind and your heart, the attention um, as far as being a leader in your community and um, what you would like to see change or just bring further awareness to. I think for me um, in my community, I think that the importance of, making your voice be heard. And one of those ways that you can do that currently is we are in an election year and we have a lot of officials that we may not agree with, whether it be your school board or your council board, council members or your um, state and legislative, um, all the way up to DC. 
if there's something that you feel that you you're not on board with your candidate that you have the right to voice your opinion and i i want to encourage everyone to make their voice be heard in a way of going out and acting and voting and and making their voice heard and making sure that their loved ones that they're around on them are actually registered to vote and are in and educated about the process um we have the internet we can google just about everything you know we got these things we call smartphones let's use them and yeah. let's and let's hold the people that we elect accountable because that's going to be where your real change comes from um all of us we we got a lot of fight in us and we advocate for common sense gun laws but it's going to take us to get people in those seats of um decision making to be able to do that. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Tisa, for coming on. It's the Miami Night Show. It's the Miami Night Show, Grief Talk. Thank you, Miami. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I truly appreciate you today. Um, I'm going to say this again. Thank you, Tisa, for coming on. It's the Miami Night Show. I truly appreciate you coming on and sharing your son Tyrell's life with us and your process of the entire process of going through um, how the senselessness of gun violence have um, changed and evoked your life. So thank you once again. Thank you. I appreciate it, Miami. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning into another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show, Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Tisa Wack, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye.